So alright, hello out there and welcome. This is Beck Barnes of Cotton Grower and I am coming at you from the historic Cotton Grower Sound Studios here in lovely Memphis, Tennessee, uh, where we are getting drenched at the moment and that doesn't look like that's going to let up anytime soon as I understand it. Talking about six inches here in the Mid-South over the course of the next couple of days. So we hope you are keeping dry out there, um, whether you are Anywhere in the belt, not just the Mid-South, if you're coming at us from shallow water Texas or from Water Valley, Mississippi, uh, we welcome you back to the award-winning Cotton Companion podcast. This is our 65th episode, so the Companion is uh, retirement eligible, as I understand it now, but it's uh, we're not planning on slowing down anytime soon. I'm joined, as always, today by my partner in crime, Cotton Growers Senior Editor, Mr. Jim Stebman. Howdy, Jim. Hello, Beck. And retirement does cross my mind from time to time. But, <laughs> but you know, it's it's just such a fleeting thought because I, I really enjoy what we're doing here and, uh, and, and certainly with the whole publication and with all the good folks out there we get to work with. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, we are, we are uh, as I say, here in the office on this, the second week of February. Uh, we just, Stebman and I are in here talking about the uh, Oscars that just took place last night and uh, all of the head shaking, head scratching moments uh, from that uh, deal. But um, uh, let me say this, fellas, if you are listening to me today, you are reminded, you are forewarned, you got to run out and get those chocolates or those flowers or those dinner reservations ASAP today because uh, Valentine's is coming up and you are running out of time on this holiday created by Hallmark. Uh, don't tell my wife that I said that. Um, we are also a week uh, a week out. We are leading up into the NCC's annual meeting, which is going to take place down there in New Orleans. Uh, and no doubt some of y'all listening will be heading down to the French Quarter uh, this Friday or sometime thereabout. Uh, so we wish you safe travels and uh, happy eating while you're down there. Don't eat too much. Um, the first thing we want to do today, though, is to bring you a brief message from our sponsors, uh, the good folks at Phytogen who help us keep our bills paid here. So let's do that now. Phytogen is pleased to sponsor the Cotton Companion, bringing you the latest news to help you thrive all season long. Okay, we are, as always, so appreciative of our sponsors. Um, we are going to, uh, as we always do, follow up that Phytogen ad with a custom content segment featuring our very own custom content editor, Robin Sickberg. And she recently had a chance to sit down and talk with our friend, Dr. Ken Leger, who is Phytogen's cotton development specialist. And we're going to bring you that custom interview segment right now. Hello, I'm Robin Sickberg, custom content editor for Meister Media Worldwide, publisher of Cotton Grower Magazine. I'm here today with Dr. Ken Leger, Phytogen Cotton Development Specialist, covering parts of West Texas and Southwest Oklahoma. So welcome to the program. I'm glad to be here. Well, I know uh, much of the Southwest this year experienced a lot of challenges throughout the whole 2019 growing season. And what, did, what were some of the issues you saw with growers in your area? Well, you know, 2019 started out with cool, wet conditions. Uh, which some of the crop was planted into and experienced. Then the larger part of the crop uh, really had to wait for those conditions to improve. So we ended up with somewhat of a late planted crop that uh, some of it actually switched to another crop, not cotton. But then that late crop was also complicated by sort of a catch-up time to uh, handle weed control. 
Then mid-July happened, and we had uh, extremely high temperatures coupled with drought, and really those conditions uh, held throughout the season. We were very fortunate to have a warm September that allowed us to mature the crop, but then it all came down in mid-October with an early season freeze uh, that, that shortened the season. So it really was a roller coaster ride for 2019. I bet growers were happy to turn the calendar to January 2020 this year. Absolutely. So what could phytogen uh, specifically do with their breeding, or what traits do they have to help growers overcome some of these regional challenges? Well, certainly anytime you're uh, trying to plant into uh, substandard conditions like cool and wet conditions, our early season vigor that we're very proud of and we breed specifically for really helped put us above our competition in that regard. We had growers comment that they lost all of our competitor brands, but the only cotton they were able to keep were the phytogen brands because we had that early season vigor. That that helped make it through those tough, tough conditions. Now, I alluded to earlier about weed control was complicated because of the late start. Certainly growers that, that grew phytogen had the advantage of the enlist weed control system that allowed them to go over the top with uh, enlist herbicides, glyphosate, glyphosate. Then one other trait that we're seeing really uh, become synonymous with the phytogen brand is root knot nematode resistance. Uh, we have the industry-leading root knot nematode resistance genes that allows up to 90% reduction of nematodes after growing, and we're really seeing that take off with growers. Then even though 2019 was too hot for it to be a really bad verticillium wilt year, uh, growers know that that pest will come back in a normal year, and we're really starting to get attention with our verticillium wilt tolerant varieties uh, that we're having more and more within our portfolio. So uh, we, we have a lot of tools to attack the tremendous challenges that we experience in the Southwest. Well, I'd love to get, be able to get into some of the specific uh, phytogen brand varieties uh, specifically for the Southwest, but I don't think we have time for that this time. Would you come back next time and talk about that? Absolutely. Excellent. Well, I think we've got to wrap it up. Uh, thank you so much for being on the program, and uh, growers can go to phytogen.com for more information. All right. A big thank you to Robin and to Ken of Phytogen there. Uh, Ken Leger of Phytogen, I should say. Uh, again, we are always grateful for those fine folks at Corteva who bring you all, among other things, that excellent phytogen brand cottonseed and also the cutting edge enlist weed control system. Uh, but this is a very special episode today because we are going to have a new par- uh, sponsor joining us. And you folks will hear from the fine people at Cotton Incorporated later in this episode. And they're going to have a brief message about their Cotton Trust Protocol program. That's something that you are definitely going to want to tune in for. Uh, so again, thank you. A big thanks to our sponsors today, Phytogen and uh, Cotton Incorporated. Okay, uh, with that, we want to get the ball rolling on this 65th episode of the Cotton Companion, and we got lots to get into. Uh, Jim is going to be leading us in our news segments where potential topics include but are not limited to this Chinese trade deal and the amount of patience this is going to require from the farming community, uh, as well as a looming deadline on the ARC slash PLC front. Uh, You guys will want to listen to that, both informative and thought-provoking news segment from Jim here in a bit. Uh, Not to put too much pressure on you there, Jim. 
Um, after that, I'm just, I'm just shaking my head. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> quaking in my you know in my boots at this point. <laughs> After that, we are going to bring y'all an interview that Jim conducted recently with Miss Jennifer Crumpler, who is the Fiber Development Manager for BASF. And she's talking about the surge of popularity around that E3 program uh, among Cotton's end users. I think they've had some developments on that program since we last checked in with them. Uh, so we do want to mention, uh, before we jump into the real bulk of our show, uh, one headline we're going to talk briefly here that y'all may have missed at the tail end of January, and I actually just got done writing about this for our March issue, uh, but that was that the EPA once again uh, found that there is no link between glyphosate and cancer. Um, a January 30 headline from Reuters uh, read, U.S. EPA reaffirms that glyphosate does not cause cancer. So, you know, the Environmental Protection Agency, they had cause to re-review uh, this widely used herbicide after there a spate of juries in the U.S. I believe there were a couple over there uh, on the West Coast had awarded millions to plaintiffs in cases uh, alleging that this herbicide had been a cause of cancer uh, among uh, some folks there, plaintiffs there. And uh, as a result uh, of this herbicide, glyphosate, and I know I'm not telling our audience anything you don't know, uh, but because it is the most widely used weed killer in the nation, both not only on our farms, but in roadside medians used by, you know, civic governments and uh, in private gardens used by your aunts and uncles and grandmothers and anybody else who uh, tries to tend a, tend a garden. Uh, lawyers across the country took notice. They are aware of this, too, of how widely used this project, this product is. Um, so if you were, for instance, just trying to enjoy uh, a radio program driving around in your car in Memphis or watching a commercial on the local news broadcast here in Memphis, I mean, gosh, there are ads calling for participants in class action lawsuits against the makers of glyphosate um, daily. Uh, you know, I, I, we just have heard them frequently in recent months. And um Aside from that, uh, you know, on, on less traditional forms of media, there's no shortage of blog posts from these alarmist uh, writers, wherever they may be, uh, on the Internet that just take it as gospel that glyphosate is this uh, carcinogen, this sinister carcinogen that causes cancer. So um, unfortunately, if you are an ambulance chasing lawyer or an alarmist blogger, um, the science here, again, simply does not support that claim. Uh, and it's a... It's a, and, I, and I'm editorializing here. I editorialized in the March issue about this. Um, you know, it's a sad reality in America today that we, we only recognize uh, science if it agrees with what we already think. And so naturally, there are people who were dismissive of this, these EPA scientific findings uh, that came out in late January. But uh, science doesn't lie, as we know. And science doesn't have a uh, pre- determined viewpoint. Um, you know, the facts there are the facts. So the good that's good news for those of us who work in agriculture. You know, we can continue to safely use every tool that's at our disposal and uh, be able to scratch out a crop under, you know, annually difficult conditions. So, okay. I uh, just wanted to make sure you guys saw that there was a lot going on there at the end of January, you know, between the football and some headlines out of Washington, D.C. with a lot of stuff dominating the news back then, but um, a couple and, weeks ago. And let me add one thing. Sure. Uh, before before we break into uh, into the next segments, uh, our record here at Cotton Companion remains perfect in terms of 
mentioning, if you if you recall our last episode, we spent a lot of time talking about the need for USDA to go ahead and authorize, get the authorization for this third tranche of payments on the uh, MFP program. And, uh, and, and we played, we made obviously a very convincing argument because several days later, uh, lo and behold, the announcement was made that the uh, third tranche payments were, were approved and all set. And I'm hoping that everybody who's listening has had a chance to check uh, and make sure those payments have been received at this point. So once again, the, the cotton companion, it's not a curse, I guess. No, it's not a curse. No, it's, 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 it's a curse if you're me and you, <laughs> and you, you know, there's always, you know, to give you a little peek behind the curtain, there's always a few days in between when we record and when the podcast is published, or in the case of when we write a, a magazine, I, I write a column in the second week of, for instance, February that doesn't hit your mailbox until March. So if a headline breaks, if something changes in that two or three week interval, by the time my story gets to your mailbox, it's outdated. And so that's just what has happened with this third trench. I know. We're just, we're just going to call it the Cotton Companion Boost. There you go. Yeah. So, so I would also like to report that, boy, uh, I should win the lottery here, uh, you know, definitely in a month's time. I will be winning the lottery. So let's just see if that happens in the next couple of days before. I think it only pertains to cotton-related Yeah, Maybe it does. Maybe, But maybe. we'll see. Yeah. If you do, we'll split it. Oh, how about this? I, I can report that uh, it seems we're getting word that uh, cotton will be trading at $1.50 here uh, by the by the time this <laughs> happens, by the time next week gets here. There we go. Uh, so, good deal there. We want to take a, a brief minute, stop horsing around here, and we want to uh, listen to this message from uh, our previously mentioned, our new sponsor, the Cotton Companion's brand new sponsor, and that is uh, Cotton Incorporated. They're going to tell us about this U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol. As a U.S. cotton producer, you already produce one of the most responsibly grown fibers on the planet. Show the world how you grow with the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol. The U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol helps market your cotton to the growing list of brands, retailers, and consumers demanding sustainably produced fibers in today's marketplace. So start sharing your sustainability story now at TrustUSCotton.org. That's TrustUSCotton.org. The U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol. Are you in? All right. A huge thank you and a huge shout out to our friends at Cotton Incorporated, our new sponsors. They do so much heavy lifting on behalf of our industry, and we are proud to have them as a sponsor of this podcast. So, Jim, without further ado... Mm -hmm. Please hit us with the news of the day, sir. I will indeed. And uh, as, as Beck mentioned, we got a couple items we want to talk about. Uh, we're going to lead off with, uh, with sort of now that the China trade agreement, the phase one agreement has been signed, uh, and there's been a little bit of time since, uh, since the signing ceremony, uh, and, and folks have had a chance to kind of look at, at the fine print or the lack of fine print in some of it. Uh, we're starting to get a little bit better feel for, for what may or may not happen with that. And uh, based on a Bloomberg report, we've been quoted, you quoted Reuters, I'm quoting Bloomberg, we're getting into the highfalutin yeah. uh, financial news here, yeah. uh, that there's still some skepticism about China's ability to buy as much as $50, $50 million in additional U.S. farm goods since the pact was signed uh, back in January. Some traders, in fact, are believing that China will make good on the pledges, but that most of these purchases are going to come in the second half of the year. So it's going to require a little patience. It's sort of one of those Lee Corso, not so fast, my friend, moments. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
But now with the coronavirus beginning to impact production and trade in China, there are also some initial concerns that China is going to seek to implement a clause in the agreement that basically delays compliance with the deal. And I'm quote here, in the event of a natural disaster or other unforeseeable event. Now, what impact this is going to have on moving U.S. cotton into China in the short term is not yet known, although latest U.S. export reports showed a really healthy movement of cotton out of the U.S. into some of our key export markets, but China was not among those countries. All that to say, it's good we have a deal in place, but it's likely going to take some patience on the part of U.S. farmers before we start seeing direct benefits from this agreement, which trade experts say could potentially come nearer harvest time this year. So something to keep in mind. We're all watching the news on this, and, uh, and hopefully uh, we'll get things settled out and, and get this agreement up and moving. Yeah, it, obviously uh, I would not make light of, don't would never make light of the um, coronavirus, uh, all the all that's going on in China uh, around this uh, epidemic. Um, I guess would be the right word to call it, um, and, and that surely would be a legitimate reason, uh, as you just explained, to kind of gum up the wheels of this trade. Uh, agreement that came across, but I would note that it's it's interesting to remember that people like Jody Campiche a year ago were saying uh, when this trade deal or when this trade uh, dispute started breaking out, she wouldn't be surprised if it went on into the election, went on, went on into November right. of this year, and here you are with this report saying that the Chinese are may not be able to comply until, quote, harvest time. So uh, interesting, just an interesting thing to remember uh, what a lot of these market watchers have been saying. Yeah, people who watch the market are pretty good, uh, pretty good at what they do. Yeah, yeah, especially Jody. She's yes. an extremely sharp person. Absolutely. Moving on, uh, Americot, friends at Americot have recently announced two new next-gen varieties for 2020 uh, based on the testing performance in the company's Americot cotton evaluation trials in 2019. Uh, those two varieties, the first one is NG4098B3XF, and it's a new medium maturing variety with best-in-class fiber quality and the B3XF technology, obviously. It performed very well in stressful environments in 2019. It has excellent heat tolerance and an exceptional overall disease package. Uh, in the trials, the variety showed excellent adaptability across multiple soil types and locations. The second variety is an ExtendFlex variety only. That's NG4050XF, and it's uh, basically targeted into the plains of Texas and Oklahoma. It's a medium maturing variety. It has a good tolerance to verticillin wilt, uh, what they're calling excellent tolerance to bacterial blight, along with outstanding fiber package and yield potential. So for more details about these varieties and the entire next-gen lineup for 2020, uh, please look for your next-gen seed dealer, your next-gen representative, or visit americot.com online. And I'm thinking with that announcement, that pretty much takes care of most of the new, ver- should take care of the ver- new variety announcements for 2020. Yeah, yeah, I believe uh, those uh, next-gen brand varieties were the uh, were the last couple that we were waiting on there Um no doubt those folks out there at Americot are excited about those two, and for good reason. Americot 
has seen a meteoric rise in market share over the past few years. So uh, they're on to something out there. I bet these two are will do quite well uh, as well. Absolutely. Uh, moving on, uh, building on its program success in the U.S. over the last few years, the folks at Wrangler are now expanding their science and conservation program into Europe to help promote sustainable ag production and land stewardship practices to enhance or advance soil health and traceability in the supply chain. They made that announcement February 5th during an international agricultural fair in Greece. Now, launched in 2017, this Wrangler program is an alliance of industry experts, farmers, and nonprofit partners that sponsor research, farmer workshops, and promote soil health farming practices. One of its primary goals is to help build a more resilient and regenerative cotton supply, but the program is not exclusive to cotton and can be adapted or adopted by all farmers and ranchers. Uh, and that all ties into Wrangler's goal of sourcing 100% of its cotton from farms using land stewardship practices by 2025. Now, in the U.S., as we've talked about before, Wrangler joined forces with BASF in 2019 to advance traceability for sustainable, for sustainable cotton. This initiative linked on-farm sustainable performance with finished garments and helped launch the Wrangler Rooted Collection, in which five farming families provided sustainable cotton in a special assortment of jeans and shirts made with the E3 cotton. And as Beck mentioned, we're going to hear more about this increased interest in the E3 program during this episode's market segment. And finally, just a reminder that USDA's Farm Service Agency is strongly encouraging producers to enroll now in the ARC and PLC programs. The sign-up deadline for the 2019 crop year is March 16th, so we're just weeks away from the deadline on that. FSA says if farmers who, uh, producers who farmed in 2019 do not make a timely unanimous election during the sign-up period, the 2018 selections will continue for 2019 and 2020, which will then result in the farm not being eligible for any 2019 payments. Producers that make a program election and enroll a farm prior to the deadline have the option to change the program election up until March 16th. So if you haven't already made your decisions, FSA has several fact sheets and online decision tools available at, on the website at www.fsa.usda.gov. You can, or you can check with your local FSA county office for an enrollment appointment. And that's the news. Very good. Very good. Yeah, y'all don't let that deadline sneak up on you. Uh, so, okay, Jim, uh, I, we are going to hold you there. Uh, thank you for that, as always. But uh, we want to have time for this brief interview you conducted with my good friend, uh, Jennifer Crumpler. She is the fiber development manager there at BASF. I know you guys were talking about this surge of popularity in the E3 program. Uh, if our listeners will recall, uh, back last fall, back in September, I spent a few days down in Natchez, Mississippi and across the river uh, there in Louisiana. Um, yeah, that was back in September. We were studying up on that E3 program. And, um, you know, it's it's a... It's a pretty sharp deal. It's a promoter of cotton demand. The idea is to boom, uh, boost cotton demand through showcasing these sustainable efforts and through uh, setting up these metrics of sustainability that farmers can point to. 
in order to better market ourselves as American cotton growers. And so Jennifer is a huge champion of that effort, and BASF is to be applauded for um, you know that whole program. So uh, that was, gosh, I'm awful at math. Five months. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do simple math. Close y'all. enough. Uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, it was almost half a year ago. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Um, and so I'm sure a lot has happened since then, and I'm very interested in checking back in or have, uh, listening to Jim uh, having checked back in with her uh, in this segment now. So without further ado, here is Jennifer Crumpler of BASF in today's Market Minute segment. Welcome to this episode's Market Segment. It's early January, which means it's time for the Beltwide Cotton Conferences, and one of the main topics of focus at this year's Beltwide Conference is sustainability. Joining me today is Jennifer Crumpler. She is the Fiber Development Manager for BASF. Jennifer, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you, Mr. Jim. Uh, in your role with BASF, you're heading up the company's E3 program, which has been active for several years. We've known about it in the market for a number of years, but it really seems to have kicked into a higher gear here recently. Can you explain the program and, and why we're seeing such a surge in its popularity? Absolutely. So, um, as you mentioned, we've had the program around a few years with Stainville Fiber Max, but I think there's a couple of things that have happened over the last year. Um, one being that when BASF purchased the seed business um, previously, BASF is very committed to sustainability, not just to have a program, but to truly live out that life of sustainability. It's a global sustainability. Yeah, yeah, it's a global right. sustainability initiative. I mean, just recently, BASF in Brazil was named the most sustainable company in Brazil. So, they truly are committed to that. And we've seen that in the past year and their dedication and um, their involvement, investment in this program and truly saying, okay, this is what we want to do, what we want to see and where we see that future going. So I think that's a huge piece of it um, to see, to be with a company that truly invests in sustainability. And then another piece of it um, is really that consumers are starting to demand that and we're seeing it more. Um, You know, for years you look at, um, you go in the grocery store now, you go in and say, these sweet potatoes were grown by this farmer in North Carolina. And, you know, that is actually starting to change to go to other segments. So it's not just in the food industry. We've seen that surge in other areas. So whether it's clothing or whether it's done and people, you know, consumers want to know. And, um, you know, BASF is very well known in other areas, not just agriculture and textiles, manufacturing, other things. And so that's why many of the retailers and brands and home goods that we've, companies we've been working with have really kind of drawn to our E3 program and saying, okay, you know, this is a company that we trust. And so on this division, you know, their ag piece of it, okay, we trust what they're doing with the cotton piece of it. So, um, you know, that's where a lot of the different things are coming. So we're excited about what we saw in mm-hmm. 2019 and even bigger things for 2020. What are sort of the foundations that the E3 program's built on? Yeah. So when you think about sustainability, you truly think about people, money, the environment, I mean, economics, that's just kind of what it is. So when we have our E3 program, our three E's are, you know, making sure that it's economically viable. So making sure that our cotton is grown with our farmers in a way that, you know, helps them make money and be sustainable in the future to continue to be there, that it's environmentally responsible so that we know, and you and I know, and most people know, farmers are the most best stewards of the land everywhere, Um, you know, but just telling that story of what they're doing on the environment and then making sure that it's socially equitable. So really, you know, just the people piece of it, you know, whether it's our farmers or those on the um, farm who are helping them with their operation or whether it's, you know, whatever piece it may be of it. So that's really the foundation that we build it on. Um, You know, and what we do, we 
we talk about it all the time, and I'm sure you hear it too in your line of work. You ask someone who's like, oh, well, I'm just a farmer. And I'm like, no, you're not just a farmer. You get to be a farmer. Do you know how awesome that is? You're the most trusted source out there. And so that's one thing we're really doing is just kind of helping tell that story sure. for our growers. Sure, absolutely. Now, you mentioned in the presentation earlier today that you're uh, – you're just a small town girl from North Carolina, and I think you said what St. Paul's. Yes. Okay. Yes. But you also said this, because of that, the C3 program means an awful lot to you personally. Can you explain why? Yeah. So growing up in the South, as I'm sure many people did, um, we're a big textile town. Mm -hmm. So we had very small town. I mean, I don't even think our population was 3,500 or less, but. We had three Burlington Mills and Industries in my town that sponsored every Little League team and every Christmas parade and float and pageant. I mean, it's just what we were. And then, you know, some of the things happened and years went on and different trade agreements. And then what do you know? Now all three buildings are sitting empty in my town. And these are mills that... You know, I grew up in the people my church worked in, my mother, my grandmother. You know, my mom, they called her old Mill Hill child because she grew up over, you know, a block away from one of the meals. And so, you know, to see the opportunity um, to kind of bring some excitement back into that textile piece of it and, you know, tell that story and kind of move all the pieces together. For me, that's where my passion came from. And, um, you know. As we mentioned, you had heard here, there's a brand new textile mill opening up. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, yes. Vidalia, Louisiana. And I think Beck talked about it earlier on one of you guys' episodes. You got to come mm-hmm. down and tour it. Um, and we're so excited because they truly are building and, and really movement to bring things back to the U.S., you know, and showing that textile and that piece of it can survive and thrive here. And we're excited that they're, you know, partnered with us. They're only going to use 100% E3 cotton. So for me, man, how exciting is that? You <laughs> it makes know, your job easier. It makes it, yeah, sometimes, but, you know, but <laughs> it's one of those where we, um, some of the looms, some of the things, you know, they brought in there. I'm like, I told my grandma the day, I was like, well, grandma, if you ever feel like going back to work, you know, I've got some some looms and some drape looms you can work in Louisiana. She's like, nope, I had my fair share, honey, but I'm so glad you're working to bring it back. <laughs> now, you mentioned, obviously, the, all of this cotton that's going through through this mill is E3. Mm-hmm. And I know as part of the tour that Beck was on, yeah. he talked about there were a number of folks there from companies, some of which who had never seen cotton in the world, in their lives, and other things. What kind of companies were these? Who, who were these people? So so the companies were some of the brands and retailers that we, you know, all know about. Um, you know, JCPenney had some there, Gap, J. Crew, Banana Republic, um, mm-hmm. Wrangler, had, all had people there. But it wasn't just that. It was, um, and it, the thing that was great about it is I've since then found out, you know, is in that apparel textile space, we are kind of, we were seen as the event of the year to be invited to okay. um, because, you know, I've already since then had many people reach out and say, hey, can I get on your invite list for next year? Um, And so we had, and it wasn't just the, you know, a lower level person. It was senior VP levels that came in who people were making the decisions. And are we going to use cotton? Are we going to use polyester or another synthetic when they're doing their clothes? And, you know, some of these people making these decisions had never seen a cotton plant. Like they'd never seen cotton. They'd never seen a farmer. They didn't know the technology that they're using and doing. And, um, and so the excitement to see that and for them to be able to realize, Oh wait, you know, and truly as I always say, you know, the face of cotton, putting that Mm -hmm. cotton, that farmer that he's not farmer hurting the land. This is a father and a dad and someone who's doing everything he can for his, you know, take this through to the next generation. And it was just exciting to see, um, you know, 
the home goods or the apparel, those level people, whether it was a gap or someone else say, oh, wow, okay, I get it. I understand now. Cotton isn't dirty. Cotton have, is not dirty. <laughs> I have always said cotton is probably the most fascinating crop oh. grown in the U.S., if not if not the world. There's just something about it. Yes. And I'm not saying that as an editor of, yeah. of, of the publication, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, but it's, it's true. I mean, there's something about it that just once you see it, it just gets you. It, it, it kind of draws you in, and I think for me, I, you know, we talk about sustainability and it being – the whole op, the whole big picture of it, and I think that's why I'm, I'm so like you said, cotton is just the best because cotton kind of tells you a whole story. It yes. you know it tells you a story, and it'll tell you you know hey you know it's emergence coming up, and then it's growing, and okay, and you can look at that plant as you know and say okay, how, what did its life, what did its life look like? Did it had a rough life or a good life? You know, mm-hmm. at the end, then you know you can take and you pick it and harvest it, and you can make this beautiful fabric or beautiful things, but you also can take it and make decorations or like me, I'm, I'm that girl. When I got married a few years ago, um, I went to my local cotton gin and got some of the fuzzy seed, and I put it inside of Christmas ornaments and mm-hmm. put, you know, decorated them. Gave those to my um, bridesmaids. That was their card when they sat down their table seating thing. And it's so, you know, there's all the things you can do with it. I'm like, oh man, let me think of something else we can do. <laughs> now you mentioned you mentioned home goods, obviously yeah. retail clothing brands that are, are very interested in this. What other markets are are you kind of hearing from right now that yeah, I'm able to for the pardon me, the program might be able to expand. Yeah, so um, when you think about cotton, a lot of times people think about you know, blue jeans and stuff, right. and, you know, and so we, and we also think about, well, you know, some cotton furniture, some cotton apparel, cotton things. Um, but we're really seeing a lot of interest, which is a very interesting thing, um, from the hospitality industry. Okay. So yeah, I mean, from cruise lines to hotels to things, because, you know, it's, People want to be able to say, okay, yeah, you know, am I in every aspect of my life, whether it's the food I'm eating, the clothes I'm wearing, or the businesses, the hotel I stay at, you know, are they truly being sustainable? And so that's really been exciting to see that whole message evolve around it. That's great. Yeah. Sounds like there's still a lot to do. There right. is. There's a lot to do. Um, and the good thing about it, you know, uh, Mr. Jim, that is great is that, you know, I've had a lot of growers ask me, well, okay, this is good, but what else have I got to do? What have I got to do to be enrolled? You know, what do I got to yeah. do to be a part of it? And that's the great thing is that um, for us, you know, this E3 is for their Stoneville and Fibromax cotton varieties. Right. And really, only thing they have to do is through their seed advisor, um, BASF rep, you know, to get enrolled in it, and we help them map out their field, capture some information on that field, which really is nothing different than what they're doing. They, you know, not change their practices, but just capture what they're doing, help them identify, okay, hey, this is the area I'm really good in being sustainable, or, you know, maybe I'm not as good in this area, and, you know, so they can look at their practice and their farm operation, um, and then, you know, be enrolled in it, and let us help kind of tell that story for them. That's great. That's great. Jennifer, thank you. It has certainly been a pleasure yes, talking to yes. you about this. Uh, we're certainly going to be keeping an eye on it uh, for a little bit more growth. Oh, this even more. In, even more. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Now, back to the rest of the Cotton Companion. So, all right. Well, we want to give a big thank you to Jennifer and BASF. Uh, uh, she was so gracious uh, to visit with Jim, and uh, we appreciate her. Okay, so that's going to just about do it for this installment of the Cotton Companion podcast. Uh, we want to thank Phytogen for sponsoring us. We want to thank Cotton Incorporated with the Cotton Trust Protocol. And we want to thank you, dear listener, for joining us. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, tell your buddies about us. They can get to us in three easy ways. The first is going to cottongrower.com forward slash companion. And you will find all of our archived 65 episodes on a landing page there. The second way, you can subscribe to 
to our channel on iTunes or however it is you find your podcast these days. Simply search for The Cotton Companion in those little apps there. And the third way, the best way, make sure you're signed up for our weekly e-newsletter, The Cotton Grower E-News. You can do that by going to www.cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, make sure you're following us, following us on social media. Uh, we are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you can find us simply by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. We hope that you are enjoying our latest issue. The February issue should be hitting your mailboxes soon. Uh, so this podcast is produced by Mr. Tyler Hatch. He works at the mothership of Meister Media Worldwide in beautiful Willoughby, Ohio. My name is Beck Barnes, and I'm going to be back with you in two weeks on the next installment of The Cotton Companion. For now, on behalf of my own cotton companion, Mr. Jim Stebman, we wish you and your operation all the best. Yeah, it works and it works and it works and it works and it works all day. God made it fun. Phytogen thanks you for listening to this edition of The Cotton Companion. To learn how you can thrive with Phytogen, go to phytogen.com.